You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, two weeks ago, you had uh, the pleasure of, of hearing my voice <laughs> for the message, and um, I shared about how we need to tend to our spiritual lives, and I spoke about the significant consequences of failing to give attention to our spiritual development. I highlighted four conditions that are important for spiritual growth. One being the development of spiritual disciplines in our life, such as prayer and reading and meditating on the Word of God and listening to good biblical teaching. The second thing I listed was the importance of staying connected to a local church community, being connected with other Christian uh, believers. Three, godly living in obedience to Christ and the Word of God. And four, to take control of your thought life. And this morning, we're going to be talking about our thought life and our heart. And uh, that's going to be the the primary purpose of the message this morning, about diligently guarding these things. Genesis 2-7, the very beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, God tells us about the events surrounding the creation of man. You know, the Bible says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Some Bible translations will say a living soul. Now, as human beings, we're made up of three parts. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And our bodies, as we know, are the physical vessels in which we move around and where we temporarily reside, and where our spirit and our soul reside here on earth. You know, our soul includes our will, our intellect, our thoughts and emotions, and our heart is closely linked to this idea of a soul. You know, in Matthew 9, Jesus tells the, story, it tells the story of a paralytic man coming to Jesus, being brought before Jesus. And Jesus heals him and says to the paralytic, take courage, son, for your sins are forgiven. You know, in verse 3, it says some of the the scribes were saying to themselves, that's blasphemy. Really, what they were saying was, who does this guy think he is? Does he think he's God? That he can say that he can forgive sins, something that only God could do? And Jesus, the Bible says, knowing their thoughts, said to them, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? It's interesting, God sees our heart. God sees the inside. You know, when I look out at this room, I see an exterior of people. And without the help of the Holy Spirit, um, that's all I can see is your physical bodies. I can see your facial expressions. I can see your body mannerisms. I can see the smile or the look of pain. Having to listen to this message. No, I'm just joking. Nobody looks, nobody's in pain this morning. Um, But that's all I can read. That's all I have is to look at your outward appearance. And man, the Bible says, looks at outward appearances. Uh, 
Whereas God looks at our hearts. God looks at our heart. But what this scripture tells us is that Jesus considered our thought life and our heart to be connected, to be intertwined. When he said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? You see, the Bible uses the word heart as an, as an epicenter of our motivations and our character. You know, the heart navigates our will, our intellect, and our emotions. And this means that when God is working on our hearts, he's transforming not only our minds, but shaping our character and our inner beliefs about the world and how we interact with it. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You know, the condition of your heart matters greatly to God. And he's concerned about our heart motivation and the inner world that we think nobody else can see. That inner dialogue that we have with ourselves. But it's not true that no one can see it. God sees it every day. You know, Jeremiah 17 says, 17.10 says, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. You know, God tells us to guard our heart. And today it's especially important because we live in a society in which we're so often driven by feelings and emotions. You know, I don't know if you've ever been given that old age advice to follow your heart. You know, the problem biblically with, with blindly following your heart is that the Bible actually says that our heart is deceitful above all things and beyond all cure. Who can understand it? It says in Jeremiah 17. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 also says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, humanity lives in a fallen state where we have evil inclinations. Our heart, our minds, and our words and actions fall short, the Bible says, of the glory of God. Another way of saying the glory of God is, is God's perfect standard that he holds all things to. When I say evil, I mean things that do not align with God's character, things that displease him, and the influences of the demonic realm on our world that also impose into our lives. Because we are naturally inclined towards in our hearts will not always lead us into the ways of God. You know, Jesus explains this further, the condition of the human heart, in a parable in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to start reading it from verse 1. I just have one verse up on the screen, but uh, if you'll bear with me. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around Jesus and his disciples after returning from Jerusalem. They saw some of Jesus' disciples that they were eating bread with unwashed hands. Some Bible translations will say impure hands because at this time the tradition of the Jewish people was to ceremonially wash your hands. And there was a certain way that they would wash their hands and wash the instruments that they would be using for their meal. And many of these things were things that became tradition, that the elders had developed, and that people did out of, out of ritual. You know, the, lead, <clears throat> the Pharisees and the scribes saw this, that the, the disciples were eating without doing some of these prescribed rituals that they were accustomed to. And so they said to Jesus in verse 5, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, 
but eat their bread with impure hands. Jesus responds by calling them hypocrites and quoting the prophet Isaiah concerning them. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You know, sometimes we can get so accustomed to tradition that we forget that some things are just the way that we've crafted them, expressions of our faith, expressions of how we choose to worship together, and forget that that they in themselves are not a command. The way in which we collect offering is is not in and of itself is important. The way that we take communion, whether we sit in our seats and it's handed out, whether you come up, that's not what God is concerned about. He's concerned about the heart behind it. And so we form traditions, as any church does, of ways that we do things, customs by which we worship together. And what's important is not the custom, but what's important is the reason behind the custom, the thing that shaped that custom in the first place, the reason that we do it. And so we always got to keep that in our minds, that the way that we do things, that there's a purpose. And the purpose is for us to know God better and to be able to express our worship to God and to be able to worship God corporately as a body together. So after Jesus calls out the Pharisees and says, you know what, you guys are doing these things, thinking that they're pleasing me, but they're not. And Jesus calls the crowd and begins saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, often when Jesus would tell a story or a parable, people were confused. Often people didn't understand it right away. And in this case, his disciples also did not fully understand what it was that he was saying. You immediately following this, his disciples enter a house with Jesus and they question him about the parable and they say to him, what does this parable mean? Jesus says, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that what goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it goes not into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he has declared all foods clean. You know, this is a reason that as Christians today, we do not abide by the um, laws and the prescripts in the Old Testament surround food, certain foods that we eat and don't eat, is that we believe that when Jesus said this, that it means that it's not about what goes in and out that's important. It's about our heart condition and that by eating, for example, ham or eating bacon, you know, God is not displeased because we eat bacon on Saturday morning. Because the bacon does not defile us. It goes into our body. There's some aspect of it that helps nourish us, and then it's gone. And it tastes yummy. You know, one thing with bacon, some people like the wet, sloppy bacon. You know, some people like the crispy bacon, something like it in between. I'm kind of a more on the crispier side. And when I was growing up, I'd go over to my best friend's house, and his mom would make peanut butter bacon sandwiches. And... At first, it sounds disgusting, but let me tell you, they are not. They are delicious, and unless you have a heart condition, please try it sometime. So what you do is you 
you cook some really, really crispy bacon, and you toast your favorite type of bread, and then you smother the two pieces of the toast in peanut butter with bacon in the middle. Oh, it's yummy. It's crunchy and it's delicious. And uh, there you go. There you go. Call Martha Stewart because I think I'm on to something here. So Jesus declared that all foods are clean. This is a huge change, something that's going to disrupt the Jewish world as they know it because they have so many rules and customs by which they're living by. And here comes this disturber, this guy Jesus, who seems to have the authority of God on his side in the sense that everything he touches is healed. The words that he's speaking are truth, are convicting the heart, but yet people didn't want to believe it. You see, this is important. This is why Jesus could sit around a table with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and their presence in his life did not make him unclean. The Pharisees walked around trying to avoid anybody who they deemed unclean. And their presence in their life potentially would mean that they would have to go and become ceremonially clean again just because they entered the presence of someone unclean. But here Jesus is saying it's not about those things. It's about our heart. It's about our heart condition that is important. You know, Jesus is saying it's what comes out of the man's heart that makes him unclean. And that which we are exposed to in and of itself does not make us unclean. The purpose of traditions and religious customs is to help us know God, love God, and serve him better. And if they do none of these things, then perhaps it's worth looking at why we do them and reconsidering them. Jesus continues on, and he says, that which proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile a man. You know, it's interesting. Before a word is formed, it had to begin as a thought. And you know how sometimes you say something that you don't mean or you say something blurted out too quickly and you might say, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking. As Christians, we need to be careful what we say. And we need to be careful about what we are thinking and ensure that we are, in fact, thinking. Because words have power. And we have a choice to choose words of life or choose words that lead to death. We can curse somebody or we can speak words of encouragement and life to them. And we know that the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what your heart condition is, ask your wife about what your language is like. Are you optimistic or are you overly pessimistic? It's a good test. But here the Bible is saying that out of our hearts, all these things come. So before adultery is an act, it's a thought in our mind. It's an intention and a motivation of our heart. And so if we live with unchecked hearts, 
we are going to have very, very messy lives. Lives that do not conform to the life that God is calling us to walk in. You know, the human heart has the capacity to manifest some severely evil things. You know, human history is a clear teacher that that is true. And you can pretty much pull any 100-year time frame from human history that we know about. And you can find some pretty horrendous things. You know, the 20th century in particular was a blatantly evil time. You know, the rise of communism and fascism in Europe and in China led to the death of somewhere between 100 and 150 million people. And that was largely at the hands of people's own governments, starving them, brutally leading, eliminating anybody who could be a threat to their political power. The human heart has the ability to do some evil things but we also have the capability to do some amazing things and to pave the path forward in which is, is good. You know, we don't have to look outside of ourselves to know that this is true. Just think about some of the thoughts that come into our mind from time to time. I'm sure all of us have had foolish words that have popped out of our mouths that, that have led to consequences that were unintended. You know, and all of these things first take root in our heart and our minds. So as Christians, we need to be led entirely by, not by our heart. Because when we're just led blindly by our heart, we're being led by our earthly faculties, which can be extremely deceptive as we're incredibly emotional beings. Maybe not some of you think, oh, my husband's not very emotional. But as human beings, we are emotional beings. And so many of our decisions that we make are because the emotional side of our brain is stimulated and the logical side gets shut off. And you wonder why young people sometimes do ridiculously foolish things. And it's because they're growing and developing and we're led by our emotions so much of the time. But God has not called us to be a people that are led by our emotions. And in fact, maturity in part is learning to take control over your emotions and your feelings and not being controlled by them. You know, feelings are a real thing, but they can't always be trusted. And so guarding our heart means guarding ourselves against anything that will pull you away from God's will for your life. We know that our hearts can lead us into feelings that are unreliable, and so therefore we don't want to follow our heart, but inform our heart with the word of God. You know, as Christians, we are not supposed to be led by feelings and emotions entirely, but be led by the Holy Spirit and the truth communicating in God's word to us. We must allow the word of God to be the lamp to our feet and a light onto our path. Now Luke Ford records Jesus being led by the spirit of God into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil. You know, what's interesting about it is that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit where God knew he was going to be tempted and he was led there by God for a purpose. Here, while in the wilderness, while he's hungry and weak, you know, the enemy, the devil comes to him and tries to convince Jesus to turn a rock into bread to eat. When that doesn't work, he challenges his authority and says, you know, if you are really, I can give you all these things and shows him the kingdoms of the world. And says, if you will just bow down and worship me, 
I'll give it all to you. That doesn't work. And lastly, he tries to convince Jesus to jump off the side of a cliff, throwing himself off the mountain to test God for what the word says. You know, each time that Jesus was tempted, there was an influence of the enemy. And I don't know exactly how this happened. I don't know if God, if the enemy literally, you know, just popped, put a thought into Jesus' mind where Jesus could see the kingdoms of the world or if they were literally transported where he could see the whole world. But the enemy gets into our mind, doesn't he? He, influence, he influences our thoughts. Our thoughts are the battlefield, are a battlefield. And we have to be weary not to give any leeway to the enemy when it comes to our thought life and to our mind. So each time Jesus was tempted, the tempter designed a temptation that would question his identity. Each time he would say, if you are the son of God, the enemy is a deceiver. And he did everything he could to pull Jesus off the track that God had for him, that the Father had laid out for him. You know, we, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted, but yet he never sinned. This is interesting. Jesus was tempted, yet never sinned. We will all be tempted, but temptation does not have to lead to sin. Temptation does not mean that it automatically leads to sin. You know, every time that the enemy tried to deceive Jesus, Jesus was able to identify the truth and identify what the enemy was saying was a lie. And he was able to combat it with the truth of God's word by saying, the word of God says this. And that made the enemy then take the word of God himself and try to distort it. But Jesus didn't fall for it because he knew the word. He knew what the Bible says. And like us, when we know the word, we have a defense mechanism to deal with lies, to, to deal with those effects that the enemy, the, the tactics that the enemy has in our life. And it's important that we know the word of God. The word of God is powerful and we can use it as a weapon against the powers of darkness and deception. We can counter any lie that the enemy would use against us in the battlefield of our mind. And we must know the truth so that we can identify the lies and so that the word of God we can use to counter that lie with the truth. So number two, my second point this morning is that we must take control of our thought lives. You know, a few weeks ago, I was asked the question, if God holds us accountable for every thought that we have. You know, I touched on this a little a couple weeks ago, that my answer, you know, was that we are bombarded all the time by stimuli, through marketing, through advertising, through hearing other people's conversations. And we can't always control what we come in contact with, what we see or what we hear. However, what we do get to decide is what we do with that which we come in contact with. You know, we do have control over our thought life. I don't know if you know that, but we do. We can choose to think on something, and we can choose to think on something else. We can choose to start thinking about something and be like, whoop, that ain't good, and to totally change, change your mind and decide to choose to think on something else. We have control over our thought life. And although we don't get to choose all the time the stimuli that gets 
bombarded into our mind, what we do get to choose is what we dwell on, what we fantasize about, what we allow our mind to run with. We have the ability to condition our minds towards what is righteous and godly and away from what is sinful. And what's interesting is the more that we reflect and, and give way in our mind to sinful things, the easier it is for the enemy to get us there and to entrap us. And the less leeway we give, the stronger we'll be to be able to fight against it. You know, the Bible demonstrates to us that every impression or thought that comes into our minds does not have to control us, you know, especially those that are planted by the devil. In Romans 7, to 25, it says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, Paul says, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, Jesus is our hope. And if we are connected and abiding with him and surrendering our thought life and our heart to him, we can overcome this personal battle within us, within our mind, within our heart. You know, if we've been born again, we, the Bible says we are no longer condemned. We're no longer slaves to sin or the powers of this world. For we have received truth that brings freedom. You know, I once heard um, the pastor at Saddleback Church say, there is truth that doesn't set you free. Things that you can speak that are true. But there's only one truth that truly sets us free. And that is the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. And that is what we must live according to and embrace. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, this is interesting. That we have the power to destroy lofty arguments against the knowledge of God. And as we speak truth, we tear down, we tear down the falsehoods. You know, when I think about this scripture, I think of it as a practical lesson taking thought every captive, taking captive every thought. We have control over our thought lives, and the more that we exercise that muscle, the stronger it'll be. And so as thoughts come into our mind, and we regularly acknowledge it as a lie or as something from the pit of hell, and we can let it go and replace it with the truth, replace it with the word of God, we train our mind to, and condition our mind to be fed on the word of God and to relinquish that which is not of the word of God. As Paul said in Romans 13, 14, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Lastly this morning, number four, submit your heart and your mind to God. Romans 8, 5 to 8 says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the fleshly desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set 
on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by, governed by the flesh is hostile towards God and does not submit to God's law, and nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Scripture directs us to trust the Lord with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding, and always acknowledging him and that the Bible promises that he will make our paths straight. The Bible also says that blessed is he who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, for they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in years of drought and never fails to be fruitful. God is calling us to be fruitful, church. Many of us are distracted and overcome by battles happening in our minds and our hearts. And we need to be diligent to protect them. To consecrate our mind, set it apart for the things of God, and to disallow the negative influences. We must commit our heart and mind to these things. We cannot make room for the garbage, you know, but we must make priority for the word of God, transforming our mind and our hearts. You know, as the saying goes, garbage in, garbage out. You know, we want to be people who speak truth, who speak life, people whose lives demonstrate the gospel, lives who demonstrate the love of Christ, lives who demonstrate to their neighbor perseverance and integrity and character. and a selflessness to love and serve one another. As Pastor Hayward said last week, we must think on what is true, what is good, what is noble. And we must pursue righteousness. That which we think about and meditate on will inform our heart and our minds and our state of being. So here to close... You know, Psalms 119, there's a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer, the psalmist says, is by keeping it according to your word. You know, verse 11, a couple verses after, says, Your word I have treasured or hidden in my heart, that I may not sin against you. You know, we can accomplish a fruitful life when we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But when we delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate on that law day and night. Church, this week, let's choose to surround ourselves with godly good influences. Let's choose our friends wisely, those who we let into our lives to influence us so that we can be a better influence on those who don't know Jesus, those that need a touch from God through our interaction with them. So that when we influence our neighbors, it is for the good, for the kingdom of God, you know, and not just into more things of the world. Our goal at CLCC is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to share the love of Christ with those around us, ultimately to lead them into a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. 
You know, our faith is, is not simply a belief, something that we hold on to that's untangible, untangible, but it's about a relationship with a person, with a personal God who loves you and who wants to transform and radically change your entire life. You know, and it begins with the heart and then moves to your mind and the outer, more visible parts of your life. You know, keep your lives in accordance to the word of God and you will have love and peace, the Bible promises. And you'll discover a purpose that fills you and makes you whole. And you'll live a fruitful life, a spirit-filled life. So to close, guard your hearts and your mind for it determines the course of your life. Father, Lord, I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And God, I just, I just pray, Lord, for our minds and our hearts here this morning. And God, I just, Lord, I thank you, God, that you've given us your word. And Lord, that you want to affirm to us what is true about who we are and our identities as sons and daughters of God. But Lord, I know sometimes our mind is like a garden. And sometimes the beautiful things can get crowded out by the weeds. So God, I just pray, Lord, that we would be diligent gardeners of our mind, Lord, and that we would pull out those things that are crowding out the good. Lord, that we would be able to identify the lies that we've believed in our heart about ourselves, about you, about the world. And Lord, that we would cast them out so we would have minds that are set apart for the things of God, that we would meet you, Lord, in our mind and in our imaginations. Lord, that our minds would no longer, God, be the devil's playground, but would be a place that are set apart and consecrated and made holy for things of God, a place that we would meet you and know you, that we would be able to hear your voice more clearly, God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives and our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not neglect your word, but, Lord, that we would meditate on even one scripture a week or one scripture a day, taking it and writing it down and memorizing it and meditating on it. Lord, I just pray, God, that our minds would be renewed, that we would be made new, and Lord, that you'd help us to guard our hearts with the choices that we make so that we would be effective for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.